Welcome to the Select Star Podcast, your resource for innovative technology, developer topics, and more. Here's your host, Margo McCabe from the HarperDB team. Great. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Select Star Podcast. Thanks again for tuning in. Um, today, our guest is named Byron Ruth, and he is the Director of Developer Relations at Synadia, which we will learn all about today. Um, but Byron, I'm, I'm super excited to chat with you. So thanks for joining today. Thank you for uh, having me. This is exciting. Yeah, it is. I know. And there's there's some exciting reasons that um, our company, HarperDB, is, is chatting with your team, which, which we'll get into in a little bit. Um, and, and where are you calling in from today? Uh, Pennsylvania. Okay. Uh, in the U.S. Yep. Nice. Um, very cool. So, so yeah, before we get started, would love to just hear an intro on sort of who you are, your background in tech, um, journey to, to what you're doing today. Sure. Um, so I, yeah, I started actually, um, in tech during, during college, I got into programming, um, doing websites and whatnot. And I actually went to school for biomedical engineering. So it wasn't even computer science related or anything like that. And um, I got, I started learning programming on the side and I got an internship at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Um, and I sort of learned programming on the job largely. And I was there uh, for 14 years, turns out. And uh, I sort wow. of- went up the ranks of doing pediatric research um, or supporting pediatric re research through building software applications. I eventually led a couple engineering teams and I left um, not, not long ago, um, leading being a director of engineering there. Um, and so I, yeah, I joined Synadia um, end of July, actually the last week in July, I started at Synadia. So um, have a lot of healthcare experience, pediatric research experience, um, and that 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 was my tenure of uh, professional uh, growth, I should say. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I'm sure you hear a lot that that's sort of a unique path into where you are today. I mean, there's obviously no right or wrong path into engineering, but um, it's I, I feel like a lot of people that I have on this podcast have really, I guess, not what I would expect um, journeys into why they originally started learning coding or what like moved them away from what they were originally hired to do into engineering. It's it's really interesting. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure, sure you can pull from those, like, I'm sure you can pull from even what you studied back in college and, and what you first started out as. I'm sure you can pull from the different types of engineering and areas that you were in because um, tech, I think, there's a lot of metaphors for tech and how you can pull from those different skills. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. One of, one of the main things I would say uh, working with, so, so research in general is interesting because you're uh, in, in that environment, you're working with physicians, nurses, all of these healthcare professionals who are also happening, happen to be doing research. So they're, they're actually like in, in the clinic, like in the hospital caring for patients and then, they spend a few days a week trying to uh, perform research as well. And so um, something that I learned and actually, because I get asked this question often, how did how do you transition into developer relations from being like pure, pure engineering and in that domain? And it turns out that there's a lot of translation and a lot of kind of 
um, filling information gaps when working with um, healthcare professionals and trying to bridge understanding of engineering and technology to to medicine and and, and healthcare. So I, I sort of evolved into being this person who could translate between the various audiences between the engineering team and um, our, our end users in this case, which are the researchers. And so I, it sort of got me into like writing more content and speaking a little bit um, more high level and being a good translator for these two groups. And so that's sort of what started piquing my interest more. And um, when, when Senadia sort of and I can get into that story, how, how that all transpired as well. But eventually, Senadia reached out and said, "Hey, would you be interested in, uh, interested in this in this role?" And I and I was like, "This is perfect timing. I feel like this would be a fun fun new experience." Um, so I yeah I accepted. Yeah, that's that's really interesting, and I I can see why you'd get asked that question a lot. I think developer relations or Developer advocacy is still a semi-new mm -hmm. role or era. Even if companies have been doing it for a while, I think the term is still a little new. And it's actually, um, you know, there's not a lot of people that are a good fit for it because there's tons of developers and then there's tons of people that are comfortable being customer facing and sort of creative and, and on the content messaging side of things. But it, to be able to be that liaison um, mm -hmm. in between all of that, I think takes a pretty unique skill set. So um, it's definitely in high demand right now. And I think to be able to, and I think a lot of times people are getting more poached and um, recruited for it than, than looking for it. Like, it seems like a lot of people fall into it and think, okay, actually, yeah, that is a really good use of, of my experience and skill set. So I think that it's always interesting to hear people's journeys. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'd love to jump into sort of what is Synadia in case folks listening aren't familiar, um, just maybe high level overview on what is Synadia and then we can jump into what is Nats and, and a couple other things. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah, so um, Synadia was uh, founded in 2017 uh, by Derek Collison, who is the creator of Nats. He created Nats, uh, I think about 11 years ago now, 12 years ago. So it... Nats predate Synadia, but um, Synadia was really, and these are these are these are my words interpretation, but based on hearing Derek talk about Synadia in past uh, podcasts and uh, presentations, he sort of took took Nats and wanted to make Nats um, as he typically refers to it as sort of like this this core infrastructure, this dial tone, and he wanted to are kind of one of our core uh, products and, and uh, services is called NGS. And um, it is a global deployment of NATS. And so um, across multiple clouds, multiple regions all over the place. And so the user experience of that is really, you can uh, sign up, there's a free account tier, um, but you get basically a, a set of credentials and you can use any of the NATS clients, including the CLI, and you basically connect to NGS and that's it. And you can just deploy clients. You can deploy clients in, again, different clouds, different regions, use that same endpoint to connect to NGS and all of the, all of the messaging and all of the jet stream capabilities will just work out of the box. And so it's a completely location transparent and, and global deployment of, of NATS essentially. And so 
it's really kind of intended to be used as a, a backplane, for lack of a better term, for companies who don't necessarily want to deploy NATs, even though it's fairly straightforward to do that, but you sort of get this global deployment out of the box for free, and you don't have to worry about um, where your clients live because NATs has intelligent routing of like, oh, this is the, the, this is the closest server to, to this client. And if I have a, a service being able to handle like a, a message and reply, then it's going to route it to the closest uh, service. So it sort of handles all that transparently for people. Um, and so, yeah, so that's, that's NGS. So Derek, I think wanted to bring this and, and basically say, Sinadia is going to be the company that can host this the best because we also employ all of the core contributors um, naturally. And uh, so, so there's that, that product offering, more of like a SaaS offering. And then the second um, offering that Sinadia brings is sort of the under, other end of the spectrum, which is for companies who don't necessarily want to use or can't use a, a service provider like that. Um, there's also a uh, enterprise NAT subscription as it's referred to. And this is more of a support model um, helping with architecture and, but all of the NATs um, servers are deployed either on premises or on their particular cloud VPCs, for example. So there's sort of two ends of the ends of the spectrum, but depending on where the customer's at and what they, what their needs are, we sort of can adapt um, different solutions for them. Okay, got it. That's that's really interesting, and it, it's it seems like maybe this is one of those cases where a lot more people have heard of Nats than they <laughs> yes. media. So it's um, it's always interesting to hear like the background story of who's actually managing this technology, who created this technology. Yeah, yeah, that it, it is it is humorous at times because everyone there's a lot of people who know about Nats have heard of Nats um, because it's been around for a long time. Um, just just as a Funny example, I, I've been a, a a user of Nats actually at my previous employer for like six or seven years, um, wow. dabbling with it. So I, I already had a lot of background with it as well. And so I was already sort of part of the community. And and even though Sinadi only started in 2017, like I never heard of them when, even at that time. So it was one of those things where it's like, there's this Nat, this 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 company that's now backing the future development of, of Nats and, and providing the service offering and all this kind of stuff. And I, and so I think there's, there's definitely room for um, sort of promoting Synadia a bit more and, and get, getting, making people aware of it, because again, it's, it's, it's one of those trade-offs with uh, running your own service and needing to have your own head count to, to, to run and operate a, a system, or you can, let the experts do it for you. <laughs> so <Right>. it's <laughs> so there's always that sort of like uh, build versus buy type of mentality. And um, but yeah, we just want to make that make that available as a as a service offering. And um, just need more people need to hear about it because it's it's really really top notch. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's awesome. And I mean, bringing you on is probably a strategic move in that direction to sort of help. Um, doing things like this, doing talks, creating blogs, mm -hmm. getting out there and just talking about it. So uh, it seems like a, a good time that you that you joined the team. Um, and so I know I know one or the main reason that our team at HarperDB has connected with you and your team is because um, HarperDB is actually 
now, um, as of as of recently, now utilizing Nats within our technology. Um, I'd love to hear, and I know our team is going to be releasing some more content around that, and we're going to be doing an announcement. Uh, we're super excited about it. But from your perspective, like either how or why are HarperDB and Nats technologies integrated, and and on top of that, what are some other of your favorite example projects where Nats is is being used? Yeah, yeah. So. So the fairly recent, it only was released about 18 months ago, um, a new subsystem of NATS called Jetstream. And Jetstream is, so NATS um, out of the box supports what's referred to as at most messaging, at, at most once messaging. And so basically all of the clients, all of the subscribers have to be online. And when a message is published, those subscribers that are interested in that message will receive that message, assuming no network issues and things like that, but they have to be online. If they're not online, that message is published, that message is dropped. You're not able to recover it. So that's that at most once messaging um, quality of service as it's referred to typically. So Jetstream is the kind of opposite of that. <laughs> so it provides at least once messaging guarantees. Um, so a publisher can publish a message, it goes into a stream, and you can think of it as kind of like a, a buffer that is snapshotted in time, essentially. And a subscriber can come along later and then connect to it and then receive that message. And so there's, there's plenty of other technologies out there um, that sort of have this stream, this, this uh, durable stream type of construct. But... Um, yeah, so Jet, Jetstream basically introduces this persistence layer for messaging, and it relies on a, a consensus algorithm called Raft, um, which is fairly popular among uh, distributed systems nowadays. And so what, what you end up getting is that you can create these streams, you can publish a whole bunch of messages in, into these streams, and then you can have as many um, as it's referred to as consumers, which are effectively views over these streams that can filter filter down the messages and things like that. And everything is sort of um, consistent because it uses consensus. And what's more, based on how NATS is designed architecturally and how it sort of can be deployed across across regions and, and all at the edge locations and things like that, you sort of get this really nice distribution, globally distributed ability to both publish and subscribe these messages and you get all of this kind of durability now with Jetstream. So the the use case for HarperDB, as far as I understand it, is that uh, HarperDB, of, of course, is a distributed system itself, distributed database, and it which, which means that whenever, um, new writes to that database get get sent to one server one node in the in the cluster that data has to get replicated to all of the other nodes and so a, a very core use case for jetstream is actually for state machine replication and so that's usually the term it's referred to but you have one stream um, that's basically ingesting these these uh, bits of state or, or data change log whatever you want to call it and then that can get replicated out to multiple other nodes, uh, basically a copy of it. 
Um, and so depending on how HarperDB is relying on it, it might be using consumers to be able to replicate that, that data to kind of local storage and things like that. But that's a, that's a fairly common use case for Jetstream and it's, it's really well optimized for that. Um, and it's sort of, because it already has the RAF consensus baked in, it's sort of like it, the, at the application layer, you don't really have to worry about that problem anymore. You don't have to bake in necessarily a raft al algorithm into your application. So it's a, it's a pretty nice, um, primitive for applications and projects, um, and whole platforms to build upon. So to, to, to my knowledge that, that is, that is the component that, um, HarperDB is leveraging the, the Jetstream sort of state machine replication, uh, pattern. Yeah, I think, I think that's, um, pretty spot on. And I know, um, our engineering and product teams are, are really excited about it. They've mentioned that from a high level, um, once they did, you know, the research and, and the testing that the integration was kind of a no brainer because not mm -hmm. Jetstream are allowing us to improve both reliability and flexibility of clustering while at the same time reducing the size of our code base. So mm -hmm. um, I know like our EVP of engineering and, and some other folks on our team are going to be releasing more details around that with some of the content announcements that we'll have around this. But um, from everything that I've heard, it seems like it's going to be a pretty major improvement. So so we're super excited about it. Um, are there are there other, I know you said that this is kind of a standard or common use case and, and a big reason that the technology was created, but are there any other like example projects that that you have top of mind that you're excited about where you see it being used? Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's, there's uh, I mean, messaging is so such a general purpose type of thing. Um, so there's, you, you sort of have your typical um, uh, data streaming connectors. So your, your typical things like Apache Spark, Apache Flink, uh, a, a more slightly more modern one in the Go community is called Benthos, which is another streaming platform, uh, stream processing framework. So there's like always a bunch of connectors around. Um, there's a handful of microservice frameworks, I would say that rely on, um, on NATs for messaging or, or possibly a jet stream for, for different kinds of queuing and persistence and things like that. Uh, a fairly more recent one, um, that leverages WebAssembly is called Wasm cloud, which is a open source project. And again, it's, it's being able to deploy WebAssembly modules and all of the sort of communication between those modules, uh, rely on NATs under the hood. Um, there's pretty popular, uh, project called OpenFast, um, which is functions as a service. Uh, and that's relies on Kubernetes um, as sort of a deployment target, but it but it uses NATs for again messaging between these these different uh, functions that that are being deployed. There's a really cool project called Simple IoT, which is a platform for sort of managing edge devices, microcontrollers, and things like that for uh, receiving telemetry data or uh, sensor sensor data and things like that, and it relies on NATs in that platform. So there's like a bunch of different a different sort of projects, and they use different different parts of it. Um, and I think increasingly, what's cool from joining Synadia too is that we're seeing more and more customers using NATs and Jetstream 
for sort of like their um, their own platforms. So it's it's again a pretty common thing that people build on top of Nats. They they want to use all the primitives that that are there um, in in sort of this one consistent package. So. Yeah, that's really that's really interesting. And I know last time we spoke with your team, um, it sounds like, as you mentioned, it's just growing and growing in popularity, and that you're hearing about more use cases um, super often. So it's it's probably really exciting from your end to see mm -hmm. all these different applications and, and ways that it's being used. Um, from sort of taking a step back, um, would love to chat a little bit about open source. Um, now that you're kind of immersed in this in this open source world, do you have, if people are listening and, and considering getting into open source or just looking for tips or anything, like in your opinion, um, do you have pros and cons of, of open source or tips on insurance its success um, when it comes to having an open source technology or library like this? Yeah, this is a, it's a big question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so, so um yeah, I got I got introduced to open source very very early on, primarily as a consumer of it, of course. Um, but but actually, at my previous employer, I did run a couple small open source projects um, and sort of tried to host a, a a small community. And it's it was primarily small, just because the domain of of healthcare and research is inherently fairly tiny, especially in open source. Um, I would say based on that experience and obviously now, um, the biggest thing, so there's, I guess, two, two facets to this. One is how do you grow a community? How do you foster an open source community around a project? Um, and then of course, if someone's trying to get into open source, how do you, how do you approach that? Um, so for the first part, I would say from my perspective, uh, fostering an open source community, fostering a project like that, uh, e responding to people. So we have a really, we have a very, very active Slack community with, which has over, I think like 52, last time I checked 5,200 people or something. And which is, which is pretty big, um, in comparison to, to other projects that, that are in, in a similar space. And I think the 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 one thing that the Nats team has done very well over the years is just answering people, answering questions, engaging with people, never putting anyone down to say this is a dumb question or I've already answered this a hundred times, so I'm not going to answer it again. Um, it's really just helping people learn and helping them feel like they're a part of the community and and showing that we care that they, that we want them to succeed. Um, and I think once you get in that habit and you start doing that, then people build trust with this group of people. So meaning the group of people of the, the, the Nats team and, and by extension, Synadia. And it's like, okay, I can come in. I know I'm going to get like a coherent answer and they're actually going to genuinely try to help me. Um, so I think that's the, I think that's like a big part. And that's something that, um, like, like I said, the, the Nats team has been very good at over the years. I'm trying to help accelerate that even, even more where I can. Um, and, and there's some initiatives with sort of 
beyond just responding in, in Slack channels, like one of my core initiatives is to improve the documentation, improve the content around Nats. Um, I, before joining Sinedi, I actually started this, this website called natsbyexample.com, which is just like these curated examples that show off different features of Nats, um, how to configure things, how to use certain certain clients, different programming languages, things like that, just as sort of a, a one-stop shop curated website of these examples, because there, there wasn't, there was of course like examples and test cases and things like that across all of the client repos and sort of snippets of, of code here and there in the documentation. But it, it seems being in the Slack channel, being in that community, people are always wanting like uh, runnable examples, like just give me, give me some code that I can run and I can start playing with and tweaking. And so that, that gained a lot of traction. And so I, I, I see people beyond just answering questions and beyond just like, um, repeating yourself maybe weeks, weeks later, because you didn't actually go document it. <laughs> um, I really want to take all of that feedback, take all of this information and say, let's start structuring our docs better. Let's provide really high quality examples and things like that. So it's not just showing up and answering people's questions, but it's also listening to them and saying, oh, you've been asking for this for a while. Um, really good documentation. If, if you hear about a feature, but you can't go Google it or, or look in the, the docs website and find it, that's a problem. And so that's an area where I'm trying to really focus on because the, the project's moving so fast, we're, we're helping a lot of solve a lot of interesting prob problems for customers and, and, and users and things like that. But the, the docs and the content are sort of lagging behind. And so I'm trying to really focus on that uh, going forward. Um, so, so and, and, and with that, sort of that second half, and then I'll, I'll pause. Oh, no <laughs> <is> worries. <laughs> a, 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 person, a person getting into open source, um, there's, there's different, there's different angles to that. So I think a lot of people assume getting into open source means that you have to like contribute code or you have to do, do like you have to, there has to be some material output from, from you. And that's not, that's not the case. Um, one of the, one of the best things about the Slack community and the dialogue is that we could get a completely brand new person in Slack that they have, they have zero knowledge. They heard about Nats. They think they, they saw a demo somewhere and they thought it was cool. They have no idea. And what they're, what they're contributing ultimately is that beginner mindset <laughs> that, that beginners sort of like perspective. And you just, as a, as a receipt on, on the receiving end, I, I get these questions or, or others in the Nats team. And you just realize how many gaps there are with understanding or gaps of content, because obviously we, we, have have lived it and we're deep into it and we know all the answers quote unquote but someone brand new isn't making all of those connections and so just the act of showing interest in the project joining and asking questions and being vocal about the questions rather than being shy rather than saying oh this is going to be a dumb question so i'm not going to ask it um just showing up and asking the question can actually be a great contribution because it might it might result in us realizing that there's a big gap in on getting getting started, onboarding, what have you. So that that to in, in my opinion, that's the easiest way to start contributing to open source. I mean, if you have a welcoming community and it's even just beyond Nats, 
if there's a welcoming community that they're just like, hey, if you're new, great, ask questions. We're not going to say these are dumb questions. We're not going to turn you away. That's the easiest way to get started because on the receiving end, we're always going to learn something new about the perspective, the, the use case that you have, things like that. So after that point, then yeah, I think it's it's really like you get you sort of get comfortable, you can start engaging with the community a bit more. And then other contributions beyond that sort of just depend on sort of your skill set, your comfort level, uh, people contributing to simple things like grammar fixes in the documentation or the readmes or something. That's that's still helpful. Those are still tasks that take a little bit of effort, even for the the Nats team to do. So if you're if you're reading something and you happen to see a, a typo, just just either report it or or just even better, just go fix it and open a PR and and um, and it'll it'll get accepted. So uh, so it, it, you can sort of like build upon build up the level, the degree of contribution over time. But again, from from the fostering side of things, uh, what we always have to maintain as the Nats team fostering this community is to be welcoming and, and to, to not turn people turn people away because then then people won't contribute and that that's obviously no good um yeah so that that's i think the biggest thing um to to be to be honest it's it's that you have to go you, you have to consider both sides um so that's that's all i'm going to ramble about <laughs> no i think i mean those are some really really great points that that you made there and I think good reminders um, that probably a lot of people can resonate with but maybe don't know what to prioritize or how much to prioritize. I mean a lot of times in open source it's a small team that's kind of spread thin and, and they don't necessarily um, have the time to dedicate to engaging with their community constantly and um, it, you make that point of don't write these people off when people are bringing up questions or reporting things or wanting to contribute um, if you kind of give them the cold shoulder or don't show appreciation, then why is the community going to want to contribute? So mm -hmm. it seems like you guys have built a pretty awesome, I just joined your Slack channel, I think last week or so, but it seems like you guys have built a pretty awesome community where you've gotten to that point where now community members are helping other community members. So you guys don't always have to be the ones yes. jumping in to answer questions. Like that's the ultimate goal, right? Is that you have now other people that don't necessarily work on your team, but they're just so excited and knowledgeable about it that now they can help um, contribute in that way by answering the questions and responding in there. So um, definitely seems like the team is, has done something right. And um, the fact that you have so many people excited about getting involved and contributing is, is a, uh, definitely a sign of that and um, I really like the other point you mentioned of you can get started in open source anywhere like you don't have to be an expert it can be as simple as checking docs and I, that's something I really appreciate I mean docs can always be improved right and mm -hmm. I always ask the developers we work with and the content creators we work with um, if they have any feedback like whether it be good or bad that our team is happy to hear it and sometimes people give us like really specific tiny little suggestions about one page of the docs and you have to appreciate all of it, big or small, and, and look at take the time to make those changes and and take um, you know that's like the best the best critics are the people that actually use the software. So I think those are a lot of really great points you make. Yeah, yeah, and and to your point, empowering people to um, 
then help other community community members is great. So they build trust in the core team and, and then they're comfortable answering, um, yeah, answering on behalf of the project. That's, that's exactly right. I think, uh, that's that positive feedback loop that every, every community tries to, to get right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. we have some moments where that happens. Like I see it on Twitter or something where someone, before I even have a chance to, to get to the question, someone else is there and it's like, mm -hmm. it's a great feeling. It's hard to describe. So yep. um, that's awesome. Well, so yeah, I, I, this has been a really, really interesting conversation for me, and I'm excited about um, you know spreading the word about HarperDB using Nats and and helping more people learn about Synadia. But before we go, I would love to hear um, just like looking forward, future predictions, uh, whether it be with Synadia and Nats or any other technologies or anything you're excited about. Sure. Um, yeah. So I think so for the Nats project. First off, uh, as of September 9th, uh, so depending on when this is aired, um, the the 2.9 release of the server uh, just just came out, and um, an announcement post is going to be coming fairly shortly after that. So probably, most certainly out by the time this airs. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so that release was pretty pretty big in the sense that um, Jetstream was released 18 months ago. And uh, based on a lot of usage, um, this 2.9 release was really focused on sort of hardening, stabilizing things, optimizing things, uh, new use cases for, for scaling out. Um, so it was sort of a really good, really good release that the team is proud of. Um, it took took longer, took about four months or so. I think the last release was in May, if I'm not mistaken, four to five months. So, but it was it was really worth it, and um, we're looking forward for users to to try it out and and see sort of all the benefits that it that it now has. Uh, so so that was that was a good milestone, and I would say a couple couple future focus areas uh, with Jetstream. It's uh, it's just a stream of messages, a, a, a sequence of messages, and but you can build a lot of primitives or, or abstractions on top of that. And so, two such uh, APIs that have been uh, growing in popularity are are the key value and the object store APIs. So those are just streams under the hood, but there's client APIs on top, and people are adopting. Uh, KB in particular, an object store is still experimental at the moment, but uh, we're seeing some adoption there. But the KV API has been very interesting for people because they're wanting to, they're already sort of adopted NATs, they're relying on Jetstream, and they're like, oh, I also need a key value store, or I had an existing key value store, and I want to I want to swap it out now because I don't I want to reduce the amount of dependencies I have. And the key K value store in for uh, Jetstream is quite performant. It's not as um, obviously not as feature rich as something like Redis, which is sort of like a data structure database that has all sorts of interesting APIs. But if if someone needs just a straightforward key value store with TTLs and uh, even keeping around some his historical values for keys, 
the Jetstream KV store is perfect for that. And, um, and you get all the benefits of Jetstream, which is you can uh, replicate the, uh, replicate the key value store um, all over the place. You can still subscribe to it because it's still a stream under the hood if you choose to. So you kind of get a lot of interesting use cases um, around this, this key value store uh, pattern. So that, that's something that I think we're going to like lean into a bit more and um, write up a lot of really good examples, continue to optimize. Um, and then, and then there's just, there's always, especially with customers uh, that Sanadi has who come to us and they're like, we have, we have millions of users all spread out across the world. And we need to be able to like, we want to be able to use Nats and Jetstream. And so there's new levels of scale that and and Derek, the founder, is always is always thinking about scale and performance, and he's he's very much into that. Always trying to find ways to um, push the limits beyond any other existing messaging or streaming based technology. So that's always a fun area because it just it, it expands the number of markets and and uh, industries that we can kind of get get into and support. So there's a uh, Various things like fintech and EV and social and gaming and metaverse industries, all 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 over the place, um, who are bringing use cases to us. So it's it's pretty fun um, to see sort of the challenges that they have. We have factory floors, um, a bunch of yeah edge edge deployments, IoT deployments, things like that. So so that's sort of what I'm personally excited for because I've been. Not, not that I want to say I was stuck in healthcare, but like, and there's plenty of interesting use cases in healthcare for Nats as well, but it's been exciting for me to like meet a bunch of customers in different industries and, and see how they're using Nats or how they want to use Nats and us figuring out different ways that we can help them uh, make best the, the best use of it. So, yeah. Well, that's that's awesome. Thank you for the for the updates there. It sounds like there's certainly a lot to a lot to look forward to and <laughs> lots of moving parts as always when it comes to tech and and open source. So, um, really appreciate that. Thank you for sharing. I'm really excited to to keep the conversation going with you and your team. I know our as I mentioned, our engineering and product teams are um, super excited about the the improvements that this is going to make for HarperDB and um, you know they want to keep contributing as they can. So I um, really appreciate you taking the time to chat and I'll be sure to put um, a few links in the show notes for anyone listening. If you want to connect with Byron or, or Sanadia, um, hop on the Slack or I'm sure there's a, a few other places to get connected. Um, and thank you so much, Byron. I really appreciate it and uh, look forward to, to keeping in touch. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much for hosting and uh, really great talking to you. Great. Well, have a great rest of your day. All right. Soon. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Select Star, your resource for innovative technology and developer topics. You can find our episodes in all the usual places, Spotify, Apple, Google, RSS, and YouTube. Don't forget to rate, comment, subscribe, and share. You can learn more about HarperDB at harperdb.io.